I love to storytell. I absolutely love to shape a story. And I also like sort of the more emotional work. You know, when I have my edit room in tears, I love that. I feel like I can find that emotional sweet spot in my storytelling, and that means a lot to me, uh, that you can reach people on a profound and sort of emotional level. This is Professional Confessionals. We're joined today by creative editor Dana Bull. Thanks so much for joining us, Dana. Let's dive right in. First, please explain what a creative editor does. Okay, I think it it falls across a broad range of creative editorial. And I started out as a film editor. And then when videotape came along, there was video editing, but people looked down upon it a little bit as not as purist as, say, film. And so that's how sort of creative editor started as a way to differentiate between some sort of hack doing video editing and somebody who was a film editor. So it was just a way to elevate the profession after there was this migration to video. Tell us about your professional journey. Where did you go to school? At what point did you know you wanted to pursue a career in creative editing? And did you ever consider a different career? Well, interestingly enough, I went to the University of Colorado at Boulder and Stan Brackage, who was one of the premier avant-garde filmmakers, was there. And Jerry Aronson, who had also received an Academy Award nomination for his 1968 documentary film about the riots at the Democratic Convention, was also there. And I felt initially like I was going to be a speech pathologist, but I took a film class and was immediately uh, taken by it, I would say. I had spent my whole growing up going to the movies like that was a big pastime for me. And when I got I was 16 and I had my driver's license, I took my little sister and we would go to the afternoon movies. So I think Stan attacked filmmaking in a very different way. It was from a very experiential and experimental way. I mean, he was gluing moth wings on mylar and scratching on leader. And it was sort of a counterpoint to the expense of film. Like before, when you made a film, you shot film, you recorded sound separately, all of that got processed and transferred. And then a film editor would put it up on a flatbed and cut your film. Whereas now, if you want to make a documentary, they're recording to a card. So you can go on and on and on. And it it gives you a lot more volume to choose from. And it also, in a way, uh, makes it much more democratic so that almost everybody has a voice and they can shoot it on their iPhone. And in some ways, that's a wonderful thing. And in other ways, it sort of lessens what somebody like me does because, you know, oh, I know iMovie, I, I'm an editor, and that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the difference between someone who's dabbling in it, doing it as a pastime, and a professional. Exactly. And I think, you know, to understand sort of from a professional point of view, you know, it's interesting, I just put together a short documentary for a friend. And he was wanting to do this doc on uh, Danish modern film. And so he showed me his first cut. And I said, 
I'm sorry, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and I know you wanted to support your beautiful visuals, but the, the most important thing is a narrative line. And so you do something called a radio edit, which is basically you take the dialogue, you take the audio that's been recorded, and you basically cut that together. The fun and easy part is laying the pictures on the top. So when I showed him sort of how you do it as a professional, he was like, ah, I guess that's why they pay you the big bucks. And I was <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so it's just kind of knowing those, th- those sort of things. The fact that people can do the things that you said by themselves with their personal technology, I believe it has cut into some aspects of the business. It absolutely has. Making it more difficult to find a job in the field because there are less of them. I would agree with that 100%. And it's wonderful because my producer said to me, however, if you're talented and good, you'll always find a job, but it, it sort of gets rid of the C pluses and below in the, in the profession is what it does. And perhaps that's not a terrible thing. I don't think so. I don't think so, actually. But it does. I think there are a lot of people who are feeling that pinch. I would agree. Did your parents have any influence on what career you gravitated to? Well, when I was a kid, I really wanted to be an archaeologist. And I was out with our paintbrushes digging up things, pieces of broken pottery in the backyard. And my dad said, you'll never make any money being an archaeologist. And so that was the only that was the only sort of uh, direction I got from either of my parents. And I think at the time, especially, I mean, I went to university in 1982. I think that there was a lot of changing going along and going. And, you know, it was the first year at the University of Colorado that they had had an influx of people going to the fraternities and sororities. It was sort of the height of the Reagan era. I mean, there was a lot that was happening that was a shift And I think my parents, in their own sort of California Palo Alto way, didn't want to push me. And so I kind of found this on my own. Um, And I'm very grateful for what I chose. I mean, it was hard (laughs) initially. And we can talk about that. I'm sure you have a question about that later. I I most certainly do. (laughs) What were some of your stumbling blocks? Well, The way you get into commercial film editorial in New York City is very old school. You're a messenger in an editorial house. So even though I went to film school, even though that I'd I'd made a few short films, I was running cans of negative over to the old guys who were doing the opticals on West 43rd, you know, climbing up 10 flights of stairs, you know, to these old guys smoking cigarettes. And they're like, hi, girly. And, you know, I'd hand them the can (laughs) of negative and, you know, delivering packages and bids. I mean, it was before fax machines. So, you know, you did you were out on the street and I literally moved to New York two days before I started my job. My sister was there going to grad school and I moved in with her. So I didn't know which way Fifth Avenue was, you know, but I was on the street learning it pretty quickly. And it was hard. I mean, you took home a buck 75, you know, which wasn't a lot. Um, The good thing about creative editorial in New York is that they had a lot of client services. So we had a kitchen and we could eat there. And, you know, if it was after midnight, when you got home, you could take a car home. So there was there was a zhuzh factor that helped with that. But, you know, it was hard and we were on film then. So being a film assistant, like if you lost a trim, you know, film and audio were together. 
as two pieces. And if your editor was a slob, you would sit there and have to figure out like, okay, this 20, you know, 250 frames belongs with this audio. And that was a lot. So I am organizationally a master (laughs) at this point. So when you open up one of my projects in digital, you will be able to follow everything that I've done. And, and I think that that's really also part of the job that I do now is that you have to be organized. Mm -hmm. So how long did that grunt work kind of last? I became an editor after four years. And it was because I was willing to stay late. And I taught myself all the equipment because we were just getting into the nonlinear videotape. And the job that I was working at, they put in two huge video suites downstairs. And so I would stay at night teaching myself how to use it and doing conforms and things like that. Um, It was, I went through the film to tape transition and doing that was really a great part of my experience. That was really revolutionary. It was, absolutely. And we still took the film negative to be transferred on a rank. So it got transferred to tape. But then you would finish on tape and push it out to the networks. I love those those big space-aged editing rooms. Oh, yeah, with the, like with the, the switchers. Star tri- Starship <laughs> Enterprise. Yep. The, the CMX, like, 3600 and yeah, know, the Grass I, Valley. I know all those <laughs> Yeah, names. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm sure you do. So that was really something. I mean, there was a lot of my own self-motivation. Nobody handed me anything, that's for sure. And so that must have made all the difference for you to be able to move forward. It did. Um, I also changed companies where um, I went to work for a woman. And that was also very different because when I moved to New York, there was only like two other film editors who were women. And so it was still a very male dominated field. And I mean, I can still tell you stories where once I was a full-fledged editor and I had a male assistant, if we had clients coming in the room who didn't know me, they'd start talking to Raphael. (laughs) And I'd be like, I don't know why you're talking to him. I'm cutting your job. And people also ask me, like, do you really know how to work all this equipment? (laughs) And I was like, nope. I just sit here and hold the pen and there are Oompa Loompas in the back who actually are doing (laughs) your job. (laughs) So, yeah, there was also that. It wasn't all, you know, it wasn't just the difficulty of the business, but there was also sort of inherent sexism. How many females were alongside you in the tech area? Mm, We just, there's, I know now two women who are colorists. I know one who's a mixer. And I would say that editorial is a place where women have more of a seat at the table. But yeah, it's not a lot. And most IT and most engineering is all male. What do you attribute that to? Exclusion by the males or women not being that interested? No, I think it's not so much interest. I think it's grooming. Like, I think there's... I think at very young age, women are told, hey, you're not very, you're not going to be as feminine if you're into the sciences, right? And I I think it starts very early. Um, And, you know, you, I think when you're young, you don't want to be perceived as other. And so I think that there is a bias, an inherent bias. 
Whereas, you know, I think it would be great. I don't think women are any less or more strong with science. I just think that there's a bias and it's a social bias as opposed to a real intellectual bias. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a difference in capabilities. It's just a, dis- a difference in how women are perceived, perceived and socialized. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Were there key moments in your career that lifted your skill level and were a key to your success? Well, I think probably one of the a very interesting and kind of crowning achievement in my career was I got to work with John Schlesinger, who directed Midnight Cowboy, amazing filmmaker, sort of avant-garde filmmaker in many ways to exploring sort of gay experience and also some really challenging themes throughout, I think, his work. And he shot a PSA, which is a public service announcement about panic, a panic disorder. And I got to cut with him. And so he came to the edit room. And what I didn't know was that he was used to cutting on film. And when you cut on film, it's a slower process. And I believe Spielberg still cuts on film. Because, you know, the film runs through the gate, you have to back it up, cut both pieces, you know, put another shot in. And I realized I was going too fast for him because I was so fast on the nonlinear system, like I could show him a change almost immediately. So I realized that I had to slow way down, you know, and how before I showed it to him so he could let, you know, have a chance to comprehend the difference. And, you know, it was a really big deal for me to work with a with a filmmaker of his caliber and also to understand that, you know, part of being a good editor is understanding the person you're working for and what their vision is and to be able to adjust not only your style, but sort of from a, I would say from a functional point of view, how do we make this collaborative relationship work for both of us and get to where we need to be? So I would say that was one of the kind of pivotal moments of my career. And I, I still think to this day that part of my strength is my ability to let everybody feel like they've got skin in the game that all opinions are valid, that in this, this creative place is a very trusting space. And, you know, we'll always try, I will always try something. There's never a wrong idea. It's just whether it's going to work best. And, you know, I would never say to somebody, oh, that'll never work. I was like, let's check it out. And because there are so many ways to edit one thing, there is just not one right way. So what about role models or were you influenced by anyone within the industry? Oh, Dee Dee Allen and Thelma Schoonmacher, definitely. I mean, I think Dee Dee cut uh, one of my favorite films, Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, I kind of tear up talking about this because it was so meaningful to me when I found out that a woman edited it because there's that incredible sequence when the police are basically riddling them with bullets and she decided to do that in silence. And how much more powerful it is rather than to hear this sort of barrage of bullets. Um, I thought it was an amazing choice. And then um, I think Thelma with uh, Scorsese and what she has brought to his work and that kind of trusting relationship. I mean, you can go you can see a lot of the masters, I would say, from the early, you know, especially in Russia, there were uh, a lot of females who haven't been 
talked about who were cutting some of the films um, and in France as well. So I would say from a film point of view, those two women were really pivotal and important to my understanding. Do you have any advice for other women trying to break into this male-dominated field? I think that you have to work harder. I think you have to teach yourself as much as you can. And it's not just one thing. It's to be really adaptive and learn as much as you can of other jobs that are on set or in the edit room. Like learn about the part that your chosen field plays within the large picture and ask questions. I mean, ask questions because I feel like if I don't know an answer, even, you know, at 55 years old, if I don't know the answer to something, I always ask and I let my client know. I'm like, I really don't know the answer to that, but I will find out for you. And, you know, I think that shows a broadness of a mind to say, hey, I don't know everything. And that people are probably going to be more um, interested in helping you if you if you're curious as opposed to a know it all. Um, so that would be my advice. So th- there's no fear then in kind of looking like you don't know what you're doing? I think it's more that you realize that you're not ever going to know everything and that there are probably people on the set or in the edit room, if you're an assistant, who know better than you. And it's better to find out from them than to kind of blunder ahead and maybe take yourself down the wrong path. I think asking questions in general is a really good thing to do. You know, like, why are we choosing to do this? Why are we going this direction? Like, just to get the information. Um, It's a good way, I think, of living. No danger of making yourself a pain in the butt by doing that? I don't think so. I mean, you don't want to be asking questions every five minutes, but I think when it comes to something that you're responsible for, that it's important to ask. Um, if you don't know. Yes, of course, you have to do it with a grain of salt. It's not every five minutes saying, oh, what's that? (laughs) Use your people skills and your emotional intelligence. (laughs) Are there any misconceptions that you'd like to dispel? About my field? Yes. No, just in general. Just in general? No, 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 no. About your field. Well, there really are UFOs. (laughs) And I'd like to tell you. (laughs) That's a really interesting question. Um, I would, I would, one of the biggest ones that I used to get asked is, and I think people now have more information about it, but they used to think that the film and the sound came out together and that, you know, it almost was edited beforehand and that it was actually they didn't really know what a film editor did or that there was a color grade and a record and a mix like there was this whole process to it so it's very labor intensive I think next to the director I would say the editor is the most important person in creating something because you know, the director has the vision, he's outlined the shots, he's storyboarded what he's going to capture. But then it's up to the editor to make it come to life through rhythm and music and sound design and all of those things, as well as to fix it if there's been an issue. So um, I think it's a very important job. And it's usually a job that isn't seen 
as much. It's kind of behind the, behind the curtain. Mm. Why did you choose that particular area rather than being out in the field, location, shooting, camera work, all of that stuff? Well, I like control and I like speed. And being on set is not a fast process. It's a very, you have to be very patient, which is not one of my strong suits. And I like control and I like having all of the material, everything in my power. And then I get it in my cauldron and I get to mix it up and make this thing. So for me, it was a much it, it was a much better fit. I mean, I have directed and I have done visual effects supervision. And I'm telling you, it makes me feel like I'm going to start smoking. <laughs> It's, Everything seems to take way too uh, long in in that area. Right. Where I can just go get a close up rather than, you know, having to relight something and set the shot back up again. And never a dull moment, though, in, in the editing room, is there? No, not at all. Not at all. And I think people, you know, they used to come and sit all day long. We used to screen dailies and we would pick select takes and then they would go away and I'd do a cut and that doesn't happen anymore. That's my job alone. And I sit there and I still love to screen dailies. I mean, it's still sort of an exciting moment because we're just starting at the top of the ski slope and it's always really exciting to me to see what's in the can. Are there any aspects of it that you'd like to change? I would like to see more females in in production, more female directors having voice. I mean, there has been a surge this year um, in free the bid in the city where, you know, you have to bid a woman director and, you know, women owned companies, which is great. But I just I I would love it to see a whole new kind of voice being shared. Um and it's, you know, it's it's hard for anyone, but I, I would say that for females and women, it's harder as well, you know, on top of it. Um, and you're going to have to expect that you're going to have a lot of late nights and nobody's going to hand anything to you. And when they do, you're going to deliver on it. <laughs> so. How do you handle male dismissiveness? Because if you're, you're a female. And- right. And because we're all used to these role models, uh, males who are technical typically won't take any female seriously because they know from experience that most females don't seem to show interest and proficiency. I think I usually I enter the side door on that one. And I think that people are usually very surprised the fact that I do know a lot. And, you know, engineers will come in my room and usually, you know, their first question is, did you turn it off and turn it back on again? And I always have done a huge amount of troubleshooting before I even call engineering. So I think there, most of the time I've been met with sort of this pleasant sort of wonderment. It's like, oh, okay, you know, she just really doesn't sit there and hold the pen and look pretty and have no idea what the nuts and bolts of what's going on is. And so, you know, I think disarming people and and maybe playing a little with perception is always a good way to attack it because you just, it's not aggressive, but, you know, they, they kind of come to it and they're like, oh, wow, she does know. And she is, she's actually helping me out. So she's done all of these steps that I don't have to go through now and we can really get down to what an engineer would do to fix this. So... I would say I would I would answer it that way. What's your favorite aspect of your career? I love to storytell. I absolutely love to shape a story. 
And I also like sort of the more emotional work. Like I just did three content pieces for the Trio Razor, which is a Gillette, um, a caregiver shaves somebody. And so there were three different stories. And, you know, when I have my edit room in tears, I love that. Um, it, I feel like I can find that emotional sweet spot in my storytelling. And that means a lot to me uh, that you can reach people on a profound and sort of emotional level. So you find your work, it sounds like intensely fulfilling that way. Oh, absolutely. It's the stuff around it that I don't like so much, which is the hustle and the, you know, going to events and the schmoozing. I mean, that stuff, but it's all in service of something that I really love. So I'm willing to do it. It's the stuff that you have to do in order to get to do what you love. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think for any career you're in, that's always going to be the truth. There's, but make sure you pick something that you love because you're going to do a lot of it. And somewhere there needs to be an aspect of it that you're in love with. And it seems this is a perfect mix of art and creativity and technical know-how. I would say that it occupies both the left and the right side of my brain. And that's really fulfilling because I, I wouldn't say that I am more weighted one way or the other. So it's sort of a mix, which is great. I feel like that's really rare to be able to use a balanced combination of the right and the left. You, It may be. I, I feel like because the technology has accelerated to the point that it does, that if you don't understand the technology, you're going to be at a deficit for the right brain creative portion of your job. So it may be that there's an advancement as well happening because of the technology. It's, fasc- it's fascinating. Biggest disappointments in your career? Wow. Um, that everybody goes to the refrigerator when my work is on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> You know, grateful to say that there have not been any really big disappointments. Um, It's been hard. And I've run two companies and, you know, I got really burnt out. And I took about four years off when I discovered rock climbing and I moved up here. And, you know, I sort of had to rejuvenate myself because I didn't have a life outside of work. And I now, of course, because I did that sort of process of rejuvenation, um, now I'm in love with my job again. So I think if you love anything intensely and, Um, put everything that you have, your heart and soul into it, that you may need to build in many, build in many breaks and, you know, kind of restore and refuel because I think you can burn out. And some fields are all consuming. Yes. Like production. Yes. Agreed. Uh, Very much all, all consuming. And there's, you know, deadlines and there's a lot of people to manage and a lot of money and, you know, all of those things. All of those pressures. Yeah. Yeah. So do you still run two companies now? Um, I just run Tall Girl, um, which is my own. And I, I, I rent space in New York and um, I freelance as well. So, you know, sometimes I just go and do the edit job or the whole post-production comes to me and I follow it all the way through. Um, that obviously is the more financially uh, beneficial model. Um, and I'm working more with production companies to do that. So 
Um, it's nice, but I'm very independent. Like I just partnered with a company and they were like, we'd really like to put you on staff. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to be on staff because I literally have not been employed by anybody since like 1998. I've been out there doing this myself. So I'm, I'm very much an independent soul that way. Um, and every day is different for you, isn't it? Yes, it absolutely is. And that's what's also nice. Every project is different. Um, you learn something new in every project. Yeah. And you get to work with different people all the time. Sounds all like all the time. Yeah. Yep. All the time, which is great. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently? I probably would have started in long format. I would have gone right into film. I would have, uh, one of my goals before I croak is to actually edit a long form feature film. I've done a documentary. I've done a couple, but I'd really like to do a feature narrative. So I'm hoping that somewhere I'll be able to do that. What is the length of time that a job like that would normally entail? I mean, it's about a nine month, 10 month endeavor to do a feature. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes they give more time to cutting the trailer than they do to the feature itself, because that's what they're advertising. So on big budget Hollywood films, the trailer, and sometimes you can see it, you've watched the trailer, and you're like, there's no reason I should see that movie. I just saw everything that happened. And unfortunately, that's kind of the new model, especially as people go to the theater less and less. Um, you know, that's very disappointing. It it takes away from it for some folks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like me, when I when I see previews or I don't even like to read the description of an episode of television surprise me that's part of the pleasure of watching exactly and the discovery that you know the curiosity that feeds the discovery of whatever it is that you're watching and I think that that's also an aspect of our kind of force-fed society that we're living in as well where it's sort of like I don't have a lot of time to decide give me the you know give me the bullet points and I so I don't have to do much in order to get my media. And I don't know that that's the right way or the best way to consume media. I think the curiosity part of it is is much more interesting. What advice would you give to someone considering a career as a creative editor? I would identify the work in films, in shorts, that you really respond to, that you see is a style or something that you respond to. I would pursue finding out about that person. I would find out about their path. I would talk to a lot of people. And, you know, you are going to have to make a decision. Are you going to go into short form and content and commercial? Or are you going to go into feature? Because there's definitely a clear delineation there. I would also see as much as you can. Um, I watch things all the time. And I get this, I get excited when I see some of the YouTube stuff that I can watch that's definitely handcrafted and homemade. But I see something and I'm like, oh, that's an interesting choice, or I wonder why they decided that. So I think, again, it's it's exploring what's out there and finding what resonates for you, and then knowing that you're going to have to put in a lot of time. And what I would also recommend is don't pay your dues twice. <laughs> Only pay dues once. Um, you know, I've run across people who have worked their way up in finance and, you know, seven years in, we're like, well, I don't like this. And then, some, you know, they move to, let's say, a creative editorial shop and they move, you know, do seven years there. I would I would try to only pay your dues once <laughs> if you can. 
Are there any jobs in the field that are in the most demand right now? Uh, not really. They're all pretty saturated. I mean, I don't know if you know about the mayor's initiative. Like he has this whole training program for, I would say, um, less represented. The New York City mayor. New York City mayor, yes, has, um, you know, training and they come to the old office that I was partnered with and we sort of show them around and, you know, we have actually hired from that pool, but you're going to start out as an apprentice or an intern somewhere, and you might be doing food service, you might be a runner, you know, you're going to pay your dues. And, but if you shine, like if you shine, somebody is going to notice you and you have to have a really good attitude, I would say. You can really go from food service to making movies? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) What haven't we touched upon that that would be beneficial for someone either wanting to get into this field or considering this field out of high school and college? Okay, I would say that if you have a passion for this, I would not necessarily spend my money going to film school. I would make my film, whatever it is. I would make a 15 minute, I would make a 20 minute film. I don't know that you're going to learn exactly what you think you're going to learn in film school. I mean, you may get a lot of theory, you will make, but if you believe in yourself as a filmmaker, make your film, spend the money that way. And, you know, I don't think you have to go to university to become a filmmaker or do anything in this profession. I know so many people who have it, and I don't know if the parents listening to this are cringing, but <laughs> I, I would make your film. Well, because the the I mean the flip side of that is you do go to film school, then you you may graduate with a lot of debt yes. that you are now saddled with and have to pay seven years of you know pay your dues for seven years doing on top of it on top of it. So but they must impart some skills. I think I learned, well, again, I was studying with Stan and Jerry, who were sort of, you know, the avant-garde and alternative filmmakers. Like when I got to New York, I didn't know how to put a start mark on anything. (laughs) So like I went to film school, but what I needed to be in the commercial film industry was very different. And I'm so glad that I started out on film. You know, it was 35 millimeter, which was fat and easy to cut. Whereas, you know, in film school, you're doing super eight and 16, which is like ribbon and it gets tangled and it's hard to deal with. So, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great programs, I think, but, you know, again, I think you learn so much by doing, and there's so many directors and you can talk to the biggies about it. They learn by every film they make. They learn something else. They learn something new. And so I think just the process of doing is the way that you get experience in this industry. You do it. And then you also have something to show for it right right out of the gate. Exactly. And you've learned from it. And you know what it is to run a crew and get people to, you know, and you see where your pitfalls were. You know, Steven Spielberg started making films when he was like eight years old in his backyard you know, telling stories and tell a simple story. It doesn't even have to have sound. Get, you know, make a three minute short that makes sense, that somebody can get some enjoyment out and understand what you're trying to say. So there's all these kind of things that you can do to learn. Thank you so much, Dana. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 
To hear more and subscribe, visit our website, professionalconfessionals.com. You can find Professional Confessionals on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.